I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Two years ago in Batam, Indonesia, a businessman was sentenced to more than five years in prison for converting a mangrove forest into a residential area. On top of that, he had to pay a fine of 1 billion rupiah for the damage. That's almost 70,000 US dollars, according to the Jakarta Post. This was not an isolated case of mangrove destruction. Around the world, mangroves are being cut down for different purposes. You have coastal development, illegal logging for firewood and housing, aquaculture, and so on. In fact, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations says that a little more than 1 million hectares of mangrove forests have already been lost since 1990. That's an area roughly the size of two Bali islands. What is it with mangroves? How important are these trees? Well, scientists have established that mangroves significantly affect the future of this planet. And that is an understatement. I'm Robbie Alampay, Puma Podcast. You're listening to Climate Smart Fisheries, where we travel to Asia-Pacific's marine ecosystems and discover how they protect us from climate change. This is brought to you by RARE, an international conservation NGO that inspires change so people and nature thrive. In this episode, we'll discover how much power Indonesian mangroves hold and why we need to keep them alive. In our other episodes, we've gone to the Philippines to uncover the hidden power of seagrass. Then we hop to Palau to learn how to conserve our coral reefs and why we should do that. Our final destination in the series, Indonesia. It's the largest archipelago in the world and many of its islands have mangroves around their perimeter. More than half of the world's mangrove species are there. On some days, these forests are visited by tourists who want to spend time with nature. Most of the time, Fishers are dependent on the ecosystem for their livelihood. But there are also the scientists who come here to study these great trees. With us today, one of those scientists who has dedicated her life to the study and protection of mangroves. I'm Frida Siddiq from Indonesia. At this moment, I work at the Ministry of Marine Affairs and Fisheries as researcher. Uh, my background is mangrove ecology, focusing on mangrove restoration and climate change. As mangrove ecologist, I'm also taking part in IUCN mangrove specialist group that have meant us to contribute to the red list of ecosystem assessment for mangrove in Southeast Asia. Hi, Dr. Frida. You collaborate with the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Our listeners might be familiar with the Red List, IUCN's flagship project. 
which is where we find out which species are extinct, endangered, and so on. But before we get into that discussion, can you help us have a basic understanding of mangroves, why they're important? Okay. Uh, mangroves are coastal vegetation that inhabits uh, in the tidal areas along the coast, in the tropics, and the subtropics of the world. Uh, mangroves are unique ecosystem because of their characteristic to adapt in the coastal zone with the harsh condition. Uh, they have capacity to survive in water lodge and anoxic soil and also to tolerate breakers water. Mm. In other words, these trees uh, grow where the land meets the sea. And they're the only trees that can survive being submerged in salt water. What I also found interesting, Dr. Frieda, is their appearance. You know, you can see part of their roots above the ground, and these roots are then become so entangled. They almost look like hair that have not been combed in 10 years, at least to me. That's how I see it. Yes. Um, in the past, mangrove uh, had been overlooked because they appear to be ugly, foul-smelling, commercial, commercially non-fileable. Uh, mangrove were seen as dead areas. So being a marginal ecosystem, eliminating mangrove forests could create more space for housing, industrial, commercial, infrastructure, and also aquaculture ponds. Now we realize that mangroves uh, are highly productive and dynamics. So people said that a world without mangroves would likely mean a world with fewer fishes, no mud crab, more coastal damage, and high carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Why do they say that? What, what do mangroves do? So um, mangroves directly and indirectly support the small-scale fisheries uh, through their function as habitats for the juveniles and adults of many fish species, including uh, many commercially and recreationally important fishes. Mm. For example, mm. uh, in our site in Bali, a small uh, village, um, a mangrove associated fishing contributes greatly to the livelihoods of coastal communities. So while offshore fisheries and aquaculture production are declining, small-scale mangrove fisheries can offer uh, an economic and ecological buffer. So for the coastal communities, mangrove can also serve uh, as a market because they provide multiple sources uh, that can be extracted. So the raw products are not limited only to timber, but also the other parts of the plants, such as leaves, propagules, fruits, and bark. So we can use mangrove for syrup, tea, sugar, alcohol, uh, and medicine because mm. mangroves are edible plants. Let me get back to your point about mangroves as habitats for juvenile fish as well. So this is a what you would call a spawning area, right? Yeah. Because I want to share something I read recently because I think it paints a clearer picture of marine habitats. Here's what a mangrove preservation project founder in Thailand said. Quote, he says, mangroves are like the kindergarten. Seagrass are then secondary schools and coral reefs are the high schools and colleges for fish. And then once the fish graduate from university, they return to kindergarten to spawn, end of quote. So, so mangroves 
are very important for the growth of the fish population. I believe it's it's not just fish that rely on this habitat. What other creatures can be found here? So mangroves serve as habitat for diverse fauna, including birds, uh, insects, mammals, reptiles. And uh, below the water, uh, the roots provide shelter for streams, crabs, fish, and uh and also uh, overgrown uh, by sponges, algae, and bifolds. So mangrove itself is rich in biodiversity with at least 54 true mangrove species. And in Indonesia, as the rich mangrove country, we have, uh, I think, more than 30 uh, true mangrove species. And mangroves not only serve as habitat, but also as protection from storms, like like seagrass and coral reefs do, uh, serve that purpose as well. Can you tell us more about how that works? Okay. Uh, mangroves are known as silent coastal guardians that protect the coastal community from the coastal hazard. Uh, the roots physically protect the coastline by breaking the sea waves during the storm surge and help silt seagrasses and coral reefs. Uh, from the effect of siltation. So while the roots retain sediments and prevent erosion, uh, the trunks and canopy reduce the force of oncoming wave and winds, protecting people and structure near the shores. Mm. We also heard the same stories from Indonesian fishers that our friends from Rare interviewed a while back. Here's Noor, a crab fisher from Sulawesi in Indonesia. We are against illegal logging in mangrove areas, as they provide essential protection from disasters. We have to protect them at all costs for the sake of our village. Another reason we are prohibiting people from cutting down the mangroves is because it is an important habitat for mud crabs. And we rely heavily on the mangrove forests to continue harvesting crabs. So mangroves are vital to the communities around them. But let's step back and look at the bigger picture. These trees are also incredibly important for the global climate. Mangroves therefore make up one of the world's blue carbon ecosystems. As we discussed in episode one, blue carbon is the carbon that is captured and stored by coastal habitats. How do they do it? Here's a little bit of science. Trees need carbon dioxide to live and to grow. They absorb this from the air, helping them to add to their mass. When leaves and other plant parts eventually fall from the tree, they land on the soil. Normally, microorganisms decompose the dead material, and then this releases carbon back into the air. But with mangroves and their oxygen-poor soil, carbon cannot be released. And so it stays in the ground for a very long time. This creates what you call a carbon sink. Dr. Frida, maybe you'd like to explain this further. So blue carbon found in coastal soil is often thousands of years old. So mangroves uh, lock away large quantities of carbon in the soil especially in soil, capturing up to four times more carbon than uh, the rainforest and storing five times more carbon than the tropical forest. 
Mm, wow. So when these ecosystems are destroyed, so enormous amount of carbon is emitted back into the atmosphere uh, where it can uh, then contribute to climate change. I get it. That That's bad. <laughs> that's dangerous. I mean, because it stores so much carbon, it's very effective as a carbon sink. It keeps our climate healthy, obviously. And then once you destroy the mangroves, all that carbon is released back into the atmosphere. And that could mess up our 2030 deadline to reduce carbon emissions, which obviously we don't want. Uh All right. Now, removing carbon from the atmosphere. This is what we now call climate mitigation. But in terms of climate adaptation or adapting to the consequences of climate change, say sea level rise, how do mangroves help us to address that? So, uh, mangrove complex root system enables mangroves to adapt with rising sea level by building up soil vertically. So, sediment from the upstream and the organic matter, such as leaves, wood debris, are trapped and accumulated uh, on the forest floor. Uh, increasing the soil surface elevation uh, of the forest. So in a sense, the land also is, is rising. Yeah. So what will happen when the sea level rises? So uh, mangrove can survive if the rate of elevation gain is higher than the rate of sea level rise. So uh, if we protect and restoring a mangrove uh, habitats, is uh, a good way to reduce and adapt uh, the climate change. Given the role and value of mangroves, large fines are exacted from anyone who clears forests illegally. In Indonesia, the biggest threats to this ecosystem are aquaculture and agriculture, that is, shrimp farming and palm oil plantations. Shrimp farming is a widespread practice as it helps farmers earn a sizable income. Meanwhile, palm oil is a big industry, as you know. In fact, many products we find in our homes have palm oil in them. Instant noodles, chocolate, shampoo, soap, even your favorite fried chicken from a fast food restaurant, it's everywhere. Now. Dr. Frida, unfortunately, many mangrove areas are converted for shrimp ponds and palm oil plantations. What are your thoughts on this? So when mangroves are converted into uh, aquaculture ponds or palm oil plantations, the first thing happens is the release of huge amount of carbon stored in the soil to the atmosphere. We also lose the carbon store in tree as biomass. And after that, the next thing happen is the environmental degradation because mangroves are essential to keep coastal zone healthy by maintaining water quality and stabilizing the shorelines. So fish, crabs, birds, and other wildlife are gone when mangrove is destroyed because uh, there are no more homes for them. Like in Indonesia, like we have lost, uh, I don't know, maybe 100,000 for aquaculture activities yeah, in, in Kalimantan. Yeah. The people who feel the cause of mangrove destructions are the fishermen and the coastal community uh, who make their living on the coast. 
But now, since we realize that how important mangrove uh, as a carbon sink, yeah, to regulate the uh, global climate, uh, the government tried to bringing back the mangrove. Do you know of any specific community that tried shrimp farming? What eventually happened to their communities? We have observed in our study site in Bali in the past years that people are trying to increase the aquaculture production. They just cut, clear the mangrove, yeah, for aquaculture ponds, and people have like a have a high demand on the aquaculture activities, yeah. But then slowly that the production collapse and they getting back to their initial activities. Uh, trying to catch fish, something like that. But because without mangrove, they said that it's hard to get fish, yeah? Uh, and then they just let the ponds abandon. And after the ponds are regrown by mangrove and the water quality is getting back to normal again. And people said that, uh, yeah, uh, since we see the mangrove back again, we, we can catch the fish again in the, in the nature. They said like a, like a shrimp, crabs, now they can find it easily than before. So this is the thing that people sometimes uh, hard to understand because it takes time to getting back to nature normal again. And in relation to this, Dr. Frida, Rare actually has an ongoing project called Managed Access with Reserves. It's a fisheries management system that includes the protection of coastal ecosystems like mangroves from unsustainable fishing. And just like the people from your study site in Bali, our crab fisher friend, Noor from Sulawesi, has had similar experiences with this project. As a mud crab fisher, I can say that our harvest in the past was not too good because people would use cyanide to fish nearby, resulting in the death of larvae and juvenile crabs. With the implementation of managed access and reserves, our catch has improved over the last few months. Local people are starting to become aware about conserving resources and have been following the footsteps of other villagers in protecting the area. Mm. So, Dr. Frida, how can... Uh, organizations like RARE help you in your work? I think uh, as a researcher, we need people to translating and implementing our evidence, our findings. And from my experience, in very local people, uh, local scale, uh, they only understand that mangrove protect uh, them from the erosion or a storm. When I ask them, uh, do you believe that mangrove have positive impact on the fisheries they said maybe yeah not so sure yeah so this is how organization like rare can help us to convince people like how important mangrove for their life yeah so we have to tell them yeah uh, not only for coastal protection but mangrove also important for uh, livelihood yeah they can generate income from mangrove they can also uh, build sort of like ecotourism and they can get benefit not only from uh, people coming to the site but also they can have fresh air 
yeah and they can have like a what life coming back yeah mm. so dr frida earlier you said government is trying to bring back the mangroves actually president joko widodo committed to rehabilitating 600,000 hectares of mangroves by 2024 have you seen citizens adopt this same mindset yeah it's getting better so we we getting optimists about mangrove uh, nowadays because people are, uh, get more aware of the importance of mangrove and uh, especially uh, with the blue carbon project and how mangroves are important for uh, tsunami protection uh, erosion yeah so people now understand that if we uh, don't have mangrove anymore we cannot protect ourselves from the the coastal hazard mm, yeah that's also good to hear aside from replanting you also uh, created a national greenhouse gas inventory to properly account for indonesia's greenhouse gas emissions which are from activities like deforestation what's also in the inventory is the amount of greenhouse gas removed by forests from the atmosphere I saw that there were different categories of land specified here but they were mostly land based. Tell us how mangroves fit into that inventory. Okay. When we talk about the greenhouse gas inventory, Indonesia now has put mangrove under the forest um, component. But now we we try to highlight bring up the mangrove as the specific uh you know component because so far as the forest component the mangrove only account for the the biomass the above ground but because we know that mangrove are carbon mostly stored in the soil so with the blue carbon approach concept so we can get more value uh, of carbon uh, in the mangrove Great. So you mean the carbon in the soil was not accounted for, just the carbon in the tree itself? Yeah. Now, because mangrove above ground uh, as a tree already measured in the National uh, Greenhouse Gas Inventory, in the future, we also want to include the soil because more than 60% of mangrove carbon is in the soil. So we now uh, develop Uh, like the methodology we're trying to uh, build uh, like a system to include the mangrove soil uh, to be counted in the greenhouse gas inventory mm, i understand so we'll still have to wait for a few years to get a more comprehensive picture of indonesian mangroves mangroves have given us so much how do we give back Two simple ways to protect mangrove uh, for uh, from these threats. Like first, try to understand the importance of mangrove and what is driving their loss. So, for example, do not throw the rubbish because uh, plastic bags can uh, damage the mangrove. And second, be a mangrove advocate or activist. So you can find local conservation and government organization in our area that are working for uh, they are working to conserve and restore mangrove and support them. Just like in our site, like many uh, students, uh, local community come to involve in uh, mangrove restoration. We call it the mangrove cleanup. When we have a plastic like uh, from the seas, yeah, 
mangrove just trapped and at the end we have full of rubbish in the mangrove we try to clean uh, all the rubbish around the mangrove something like that so that's the simple ways we need like uh, strong law enforcement so we need also uh, like a policy maker to uh, build the synergy we have to be more uh, like integrated something like that for the mangrove uh, management because uh, i believe that uh, most of the countries uh, mangrove is not under one uh, government agency maybe uh, five or maybe ten yeah so we try to have like a good coordination at national subnational even local uh, for the coastal communities, especially for the fishermen, um, I believe that mangroves have strong connection with them, but sometimes they don't realize. Yeah, they just realize when mangrove has been lost. What I try to to feel to local people, uh, please keep the mangrove as your home for your sake, for your life. Like air purifiers that remove carbon from the air and supermarkets that provide our daily meals, mangroves are truly lifesavers. Our life buoys that when we let go of them, they would leave us drowning in the toxic gases that we ourselves produced. This planet is not just ours. We share it with other nations, rich or poor, with creatures that play their roles in the balance of nature and with our marine ecosystems, the seagrass, the coral reefs, the mangroves, which we've taken time to understand and appreciate in this podcast. If there's one thing we can leave you with, let it be this. True development is not mindless industrialization. True development holds the earth in high regard. Yes, companies and governments have big responsibilities, but each one of us can do our share by switching to a more sustainable lifestyle. So we want to challenge you. Start doing at least one thing for the environment today. And if we keep at it long enough, we may be able to turn the tide of climate change. I'm Robbie Alampay. Thank you for listening to Climate Smart Fisheries. This podcast is brought to you by RARE, a conservation NGO that supports local governments, national agencies, and communities to promote climate resilience in coastal fisheries management. It's part of RARE's Fishing for Climate Resilience project, supported by Germany's Federal Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation, and Nuclear Safety through the International Climate Initiative, in partnership with Puma Podcast. This episode was produced by Macy Hoven with Yasmin Arquiza and Angel Uson from their Philippines and Hari Kusardanto and Rai Chandra Purnama of Rare Indonesia. It was edited by Joe Salcedo. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend. Stay smart, stay informed, and do your part to save the environment. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.